Design touches everything. The way we learn, the way we communicate, the way we live. And Boston has always been at the center of it. This is the Boston Design Cast presented by AIGA Boston. I'm Sarah Kroll. And I'm Michael Coleman. We're here to highlight the greater Boston design community and introduce you to designers who not only make great work, but challenge what design can be today. I'm Sarah Kroll, and this is the Boston Design Cast, presented by AIGA Boston. I'm here with Michael Russum, the curator and founder of the Kathleen Small Gallery. Michael Russum has been a book designer at the offices of Cat Ram Press in Somerville, Massachusetts, designing books, exhibition catalogs, posters, and ephemera for Harvard University Press, MIT, New York Review Books, and the American Printing History Association, or the APHA. Prior to opening the Catherine Small Gallery, his primary distraction was collecting posted stamps by type designers, AIJ medalists, and other notable graphic designers. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Uh, well, for many years, I was a letterpress printer, and I had a shop in Western Massachusetts. Uh, I would print very expensive books that nobody read. That was not very rewarding and printing is incredibly boring. Um, so at a certain point I switched from designing and printing books to just designing them and other suckers have to do the printing. <laughs> well I brought you on the show today uh, because of the awesome design collection that you have at the Catherine Small Gallery. Uh, we walked through it a little bit when I came to visit you a couple, couple weeks ago and I really wanted to talk about you know, collecting design and how that affects your design personally, and so just like jumping into it, how did you start collecting design? Okay, all right. Uh, well, when I was getting started um, as a printmaker in school and I was switching over to printing, I was reading about all the guys, and they were mostly guys, um, in the history of printing. I w was interested in who was making the presses and who was doing the printing and who was designing the types. And at a certain point, um, I found that if I, I was always trying to compare myself to these people and see where they were in their careers and where I was. And um, I thought that if I could start getting their examples of their work, I was seeing it in real life and it was a connection to these people. Mm -hmm. um, I started with say, um, Penguin books. I read about Jan Chikold redesigning Penguin and I just started getting penguins. It was a way to get something that he had worked on. Are those like the classic Penguin books that people associate with what the design is for Penguin these days? Um, yes, but Chikold was only uh, involved for three years and a lot of what we see now was actually designed by Hans Schmoller. So, the pro tip. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Did you find that out through collecting them? I did. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> So uh, the next thing that I'm curious about is what is something that came out of collecting design objects that you didn't expect? Well, um, I have a map, well certainly the gallery, I never would have planned mm -hmm. on that, um, but also collecting stamps um, and being branded as a philatelist or a stamp collector, which is like the worst thing anyone could call. Is a philatelist someone who collects stamps? It is, yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Where does that term come from? Do you know? Um, I don't. And that, um, yeah. I'm glad that I don't know because that means I'm not a real philanthropist. <laughs> You're not a real stamp collector. Yeah. Um, don't tell your parents that you were talking to a philatelist I, I won't. today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, 
you, I mean, we're joking back and forth, of course, but you're not a real stamp collector, so how would you classify the stamps that you collect? I only collect stamps by type designers a and AIGA medalists and a handful of other graphic designers. I don't care about any other stamps. Mm -hmm. um, so this was all an unexpected pursuit um, because the work was unexpected. No one ever, stamp collecting is so uncool or was 20 years ago. It's probably even less cool now. Um, but all these people that I was reading about had designed stamps and no, it was just an overlooked body of work. And I wanted to know everything about these people. Mm -hmm. So um, 3,000 stamps later. Wow, do you have any duplicates or is it 3,000 individual stamps? Um, I'm only, I have duplicates, but I'm only counting um, the okay, so one who, example from each person. That, yeah. That's crazy. How, so who is someone who's a stamp collector that you know, we might not expect to be a stamp collector. A uh, stamp, uh, stamp designer. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. yeah, stamp. Who is a, who is a stamp designer, that you've collected, that designers in the community might not expect. Um, and an example of their work outside of stamp collecting, because so, some people might sure. not recognize the name, but would recognize of the course. work. Um, well, Eric Gill who designed Gil Sands and Perpetua and Joanna, a terrible human being, but a, a great great type designer. And he designed stamps. He had a um, really hard time with it. Most of his designs were rejected. Oh, wow. And, you know, thinking about his career, where I imagined he just did whatever he wanted and he was really well respected before we all knew what mm -hmm. his private life was like, um, he really struggled as a typed as a stamp designer so that's something I enjoyed learning mm -hmm. was that someone so great was really terrible at, at, other, yeah, things. at other things um, Milton Glazer who designed the I love New York logo and mm -hmm. um, the Bob Dylan poster Bob Dylan poster he designed stamps um, Herman Zapf who designed Palatino and Optima typefaces that are on all of our computers or, mm -hmm. or pirated versions that are on all of our computers designed a handful of stamps now the stamps, like let's go back to Milton Glaser for a second. Uh, with it, were the stamps that Milton Glaser designed like, did he also design like an I Love New York stamp, or was it totally different from the work that we know him from? Uh, I think if if I hadn't seen his name on these stamps, I wouldn't have put it together that mm -hmm. these were his. And that's part of what interests me. Sometimes the stamps are right, uh, a normal part of their work, and sometimes they're completely unrelated. So, and his stamps were for the United Nations, uh, which has its own postal service. And that's not something that most people in America have any reason yeah. to see. Wow, so how did you track down those stamps? So I started this collection before the internet was part of our daily lives. And I would just get, s every country uh, issues stamp catalogs, and I would just hunt go line by line looking for names that I recognized. Oh, that's, a, that's really cool. That um, sounds like quite the like research project to try and hunt down all of the different designers. Yeah, and I didn't have a TV, so that's what I did. That's what you did. <laughs> and so um, you mentioned that you've collected three over 3,000 stamps. Yes. And uh, we talked a little bit about the gallery and how collecting influence the idea, but how did you come to open the Catherine Small Gallery? Uh, 
a few years ago, I was president of the Society of Printers, which is uh, the oldest graphic design organization in the country, and it has almost no printers. It was just founded when everyone involved in um, book design and, and advertising was called a printer. Um, we would have nine meetings a year, and we would meet for drinks and dinner and a lecture. And at the end of my two years as president, I really missed doing something for the community, but I didn't miss doing things with the community. Uh, all the planning and the committees and people telling me I was doing something wrong. Uh, I just wanted to So you wanted to be independent, but did. still contribute something. Yeah. yeah, so I looked into starting my own lecture series, which was a little more work than I was interested in. Um, and all this was happening at the same time as I'd been working at home for about 10 years and I'd had enough and I needed a space outside of home so I could stop working at mm -hmm. a certain point in the day. Um, and at the same t also at the same time, I'd been amassing all these little collections that are just sitting in the house. Uh, I could put them online and people click like and then they go about their day. Um, so I thought if I get an office outside, um, I'm not gonna, it's a huge extra expense. So I'll put it in this little gallery that's only open two days a week. I'll sell some books. Um, I get to share all these things um, and encourage other designers to hopefully learn about their the history and the craft of our profession through collecting. Um, so part of it is totally selfish <laughs> and a little part is uh, hopefully selfless. Mm -hmm. And so how does your collection inform the different exhibitions that you put together for the Catherine Small Gallery? Um, well, there are two, my collections have two different directions. Um, sometimes I'm curious about something or I have a question and I build a collection around that. So mm -hmm. that's how the first exhibition of Ivan Chemayev came about. I found a really bad example of his covers and I became curious about where this came from and why it was so bad. Mm -hmm. And were they all this bad? And they weren't. So um, that collection and this exhibition is an answer to a question. Another branch is just about uh, what interests me on a particular day. Um, it could be Japanese matchboxes mm -hmm. or stamps or book covers by um, Eric Carl, who designed or, or wrote The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which is not a book I ever read. Um, but somehow one day I'm interested and I amassed all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes it serves a purpose to satisfy um, a curiosity, and other times it's just, here's a bunch of neat stuff, maybe you'll enjoy it too. Awesome, and I just wanted to go back to the uh, Ivan Tremayev exhibition that is currently up for view at your gallery. And so could you talk a little bit about the really bad book cover that you found and kind of the rabbit hole that it led to? Sure. Well, I was out for a run one day and I mm -hmm. stopped at one of those little free libraries for a break. And uh, one of the books I pulled out, I can't remember the name, but the it had a pretty sharp illustration on the front cover. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed Ivan's signature. And then at the top was all this garbage um, set in Times New Roman, not set well, just really crammed in there. And I couldn't believe that 
Ivan had designed this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It just didn't make any sense. Um, so it was also the first time I'd sort of noticed that he had done covers, because he's really well known for logos, like the logo, well his firm designed the logo for the T and the aquarium here, mm-hmm. um, the NBC Peacock and Chase Manhattan. So I wanted to, just like stamps, I wanted to know what else he was doing, this, this other weird thing that he didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah. And um, so I know when we talked about this when I was in the gallery, what you had uncovered was that Mobile Gas had presented uh, all of these plays and they were turned into books, or am I, is that um, correct? Uh, almost. Yeah. So, because um, you didn't actually a- like answer the question, like why is his name on this book with such bad type at the top? So I'm oh, just right, curious as to yes. how, how you arrived sure. where you did. So that happened to be a cover for a show that was on Masterpiece Theater. And uh, Mobile was a sponsor of Masterpiece Theater, and they were a client of Chermayev and Geismar. So Mobile would um, sponsor these posters, and then publishers, like Houghton Mifflin, would take the posters and just cram them onto reissues of the book so that you could read along at the time that the shows were being aired. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there was a whole short series of books that are sort of bastardizations of Ivan's work that he may not have really had any um, direct hand in. Except for like the one illustration piece Except for, for the, the one illustration, yeah. That's super cool. So that, that's a really good example of how collecting turned into like sort of this research project and being able to see that. And I highly recommend going to check out this show because it's one of the coolest things is being able to see you know, what other designers are working on throughout their career that are lesser known, and even how it influences the work that they are really well known for, which mm. is really cool. But moving on a little bit to zoom out a little bit, how has living in the greater Boston area affected your collecting, if at all? Well, Boston and New England has this really rich tradition of uh, what I was taught were scholar printers, um, printers and designers who weren't just carrying out work, but they were obsessed and with the history and tradition of their craft. So I was um, luckily enough to be brought into a community of these people and h- hanging out with them and spending time with them, um, learning what they were interested in, what they were collecting, and then collecting their work as well, like um, Rocky Steinauer of the Steinauer Press in Vermont. Um, they printed books for all the big cultural institutions uh, up and down the East Coast and a little bit in Europe. Um, I got to know him. Uh, We had this great conversation where he totally changed the course of my career. Um, And then I started collecting his work as as best I could. There's, they produced zillions of printed pieces. It's way beyond my scope, but um, that's one way collecting the work of the people that I, the older people I got Mm -hmm. to know and hang out with, or Carl Zahn, who was the designer at the MFA for 30 or 40 years. And his work is something I would see when I was a kid um, in schools, the MFA posters would be on the walls, Mm -hmm. or my grandparents would have exhibition catalogs. And I didn't know anything about anything, but it turned out he was this devout modernist working in what he called the leader in resisting modernism. Um, The the MFA was a pretty conservative place for many years, and he was 
doing really radical work mm -hmm. to promote that those ex exhibitions. Oh, cool! And we'll definitely uh, share some pictures on the, the podcast page so you guys can see the visuals along with just the audio back and forth. <laughs> you can imagine it's kind of hard to imagine what it looks like just from an audio podcast. But yeah, we'll share some of those images. Yeah, that's excellent. And why collect physical objects when someone can go online and look at the design? Uh, well, I started collecting these things before there was an online. Um, but even now, it's easy to forget that these are real things. And that's another part of what the gallery is about, is people can come and see that they're not just JPEGs, that, that they're three-dimensional things. Um, and maybe they make a, a longer lasting impression. Mm -hmm. It's not just cl click like and then go on to the next thing. And I'm, that's, I do that all day long. <laughs> when I can't sleep, I do it all night. Um, so I'm not any better than anyone mm -hmm. else. I, I just started making, amassing piles. Yeah, so when it's a real thing, you spend a little bit more time with it. And I mean, you even mentioned something like that in the beginning of our conversation where you know you would share stuff online and people might click on it or just go on their merry way, but having a space for it really makes it real as opposed to just scrolling by mm -hmm. one of the other thousands of images we're gonna see from one day, one day to the next. And so how, how can designers who want to start a collection get started? Um, well, my rule is that a collection begins with three pieces, and that's it. You can, one is just a lonely piece. It's the loneliest number. Um, two is company, and three is a collection. Mm -hmm. um, it could be what, whatever is of interest. Um, Chris Pullman, who is the design director at WGBH, told me that he once had a collection of the stamps that are on the bottoms of brown paper bags. So often it'll say like who the manufacturer was or who inspected this brown paper bag, mm -hmm. and he collected that. And if you amass enough, enough of these things, you get to depict, um, you get to learn the story or you get to make up a story about what these things are. So that was a totally free collection. He said that he um, had loaned it to someone in the office who left it in a brown paper bag um, under her desk and the janitorial staff threw it Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't have a janitorial staff at home, so that's not a concern. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> um, but if it could be candy wrappers mm -hmm. or Coke bottle caps, um, anything. I, I have not... I mean, over the course of 20 or so years, I probably spent more than I should have. <laughs> but on the whole, everything is a one or two dollars. Yeah, could you speak to that a little bit more, especially like with old, old book designs or even stamps, I imagine, are not astronomically expensive to start collecting? No, um, I'll often pay five cents for a stamp, but a dollar to have it mailed to me. <laughs> um, I don't like to... I don't care about the conditions of things, I just want an example. So um, one, two, three, four, five dollars is pretty much it. Um, they're, the really old books are really expensive. There's not a lot I can learn from them um, and relate to my own work now. So I like the cheap stuff that was made for regular people. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you're you're asking yourself while you're looking for pieces? Is there any sort of criteria that it needs to meet? 
when you're in the process of collecting things? Oh, that's things? a great question. Um, I've recently taught my wife how to spot um, the designers that I'm looking for. And she, just the other day, she pulled a Milton Glaser off the shelf uh, in a restaurant, actually. And um, it was neat and weird. And if it didn't say Milton Glaser on the back, I wouldn't have known it was his. So it's a great example of something that's a sidetrack. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she'll often pick things which just don't, which are just standard Milton Glaser, let's say, and I, um, and I don't grab them, and then it's a long, quiet car ride home. <laughs> so when you're looking at these books, right, does it catch your eye first and then you check to see it, or do you kind of already know what you're looking for? There are some designers I can spot from a mile away, um, and sometimes I'll get a pick something up because it fits in perfectly, but more often than not, I want something that is surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want just more of the same, I don't want something I can find online at any old time. Um, it's I want to be surprised, and I want to mm-hmm. surprise other people when I show it to them. I mean, we've all seen Paul Rand's book covers everywhere, they're amazing. I'm happy to steal any of his ideas. <laughs> um, but there's a, at a certain point, they're less surprising. Mm-hmm. Although I did just buy one the other day, uh, which I thought was neat and weird. Um, and now it'll go on the shelf until I can steal something from that one. What was the what was the name of the book? I don't remember because I, ne- <laughs> I, ne- I never actually read the books. <laughs> I'm starting um, to see a theme here. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was about architecture. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And one question that I ask all of our guests who come on the show is, what brought you to Massachusetts and or why do you choose to stay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I'm from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up on the North Shore. I went to school in Syracuse and lived out there for too long after school. Uh, But then I moved back to Western Massachusetts because there was this giant community of printers and bookbinders making books by hand and at the time that's what was of interest to me and then I moved to Cambridge because um, growing up that was a neat place to come to um, what I, I stay because I don't like to think of there <laughs> being any place better mm-hmm. uh, that seems exhausting to think that I could always be somewhere else mm-hmm. but if I didn't have to work and I could just be a dandy I would go live in London or <laughs> Japan is there any, like, I kind of asked this before, but, like, your location is is so central to so many different places, uh, the Catherine Small Gallery, which is really cool. And and does, how does that, like, affect the people who come in or the the conversations that you have? Like, like kind of getting to the people who are around the area as well, and if you could speak to that. Mm. Well, half the people who come uh, have come intentionally because they're designers or they're interested in design. The other half are just random people off the street walking to Whole Foods or um, to the Biscuit or Dali. Um, and they don't know anything about what I'm doing. Um, all sorts of ages, all sorts of classes, mm-hmm. um, lots of professors and lots of architects. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still learning who's coming because mm-hmm. I open on May 5th which is exactly when everyone leaves Boston, all the students left. Um, professors are done thinking about things. Um, so 
It's been a mix of people on vacation, designers who are passing through uh, and intentionally stop, and then just random people in the neighborhood who are either going to Whole Foods or they're just decided to go one block out of their way and they're surprised to see this weird place that mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. Um, but everyone who's come in has been lovely and enthusiastic and appreciative. That's uh, awesome. And where can people who are listening to this go to find out more information about you and about the Catherine Small Gallery and just the stuff that you've been up to? Well, everyone can go to ksmallgallery.com or follow me on Instagram at ksmallgallery. Um, I try not to post too often uh, because I want people to actually come yeah. in. It's a small place and I could take pictures of everything within five minutes <laughs> and um, you would see it online and then you mm -hmm. would have no reason to come. So I, I want there to be a little bit of mystery mm -hmm. as, best, uh, as best as there can be. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. That is all of my questions. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. The Boston Design Cast is recording at the Inno Lab at the Boston Public Library. Our sound is edited by Michael Coleman and produced by me, Sarah Kroll. If you want to support this podcast, consider becoming a member of AIJ Boston by going to aij.org slash join. Thank you. Boston Design Cast is presented by AIJ Boston. It's produced by me, Sarah Crowell. And me, Michael Coleman. Our music is by Jason Dean Egan. And sound editing by Michael Coleman. For more information, check out our show notes or boston.aiga.org.